Hi, this is Kathy St. George. I like to talk about my body. I don't know about my work. I try to do as little of that as possible. I make everyone else look beautiful. In fact, I'm really a man. You're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Welcome to yet another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. The only podcast to guarantee that if you listen, you can hear stuff. (laughs) This week, in episode 453, we're going someplace we don't usually wander. Uh, So let's see how that works out. We are still in pandemic show mode. And because of the need for social distancing, the clogging of the inner tubes, the whole world of the web is difficult to get a solid signal. So we're using a paired back cast and hoping for the best or whatever. And at some point, Captain Cam will get used to my taunts and then they'll have to be removed. So in the Area 51 broadcast facility tonight, it's just Captain Cam who had the audacity tonight to bring along his entire collection of rare and vintage M.C. Escher etchings from only when he was sober. And oddly enough, all of his etchings are of squares and other common geometric features. They're of little or no value, so I'm not sure why he collects them, but he claims they are that he's cornered the market on them. But the penwork is, as usual, exquisite. And it's me. I'm just a saltwater fish in an octopus tank. They call me the Dome. Cam, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. What are you talking about? You know, when I look at it, I see traditional MC Escher. You know, it it just flows it's just and moves. Freaking square. Don't give me that squares, shit. The square's talking to me, Dobe. It, it 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 it's told me the deep secrets of the universe. That doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so look. Tonight, um, we're gonna do something we don't usually do. We're going we're, we're gonna to talk about a book, which we do usually do, but and we're going to talk about a book um, that is kind of different from what we usually talk about. And here's why. This book tonight is not an alternate history, even though it claims to be. Is it speculative fiction? Uh, fiction? Is it a worst case scenario? Is it a modern day cautionary tale? I can tell you this book is most definitely not for people with red baseball caps made in China. Mm-hmm. We don't usually do political stuff on this podcast. Tonight, we're going to make an exception, God help us. And we're going to talk about a new book called And the Last Trump Shall Sound, A Future History of America, which will be released on September 22nd, which consists of three short novellas. Joining us tonight, we have two of the three authors tonight, uh, James Morrow and Kat Rambo. 
Guys, thank you for joining us tonight. Hello, and thank you for inviting us. You're very, you're very welcome. It's an honor uh, to be here, uh, Mr. Dome, Sir Dome. Dome is, no, Dome is fine. How do we address hey, you? Okay. Works. Hey, bald guy, guy no. with the funny hat. Hey, you. Any of that will work just okay. fine. Or, or you can just ignore me and talk to Cam. Whatever you want. The last Trump shall sound consists of three novellas. Uh, Harry Dirt, Turtle Dove. Uh, starts off the book with uh, the the breaking of the glass, shall it be, which is called the breaking of nations, uh, which kind of sets the stage for the second and third novellas, The Purloined Republic by James and Because It's Bitter by Cat. And it's set in a near future that is both troubling plausible and god I don't know how, how to describe it first of all um, the hell with it I have you guys here you describe <laughs> go for it who, who wants to take a shot at this one first well, I'll say a few words about the genesis of the project. Uh, Please do. It's essentially the brainchild of uh, of the publisher, uh, mm-hmm. Shahid uh, Mahmoud. Mm-hmm. Shahid Mahmoud uh, came to me uh, after I'd done a panel in D.C. at uh, Capclave, and he said, "I've I've been so troubled by the by the, um, the divisiveness that Donald Trump has brought to our republic." And he's he, he's not himself any sort of flaming liberal Marxist person. His his views are, I would I would say, if not conservative, uh, certainly not on the far left. But he's very troubled by the Trump phenomenon. And he said, I just I want to do a novella uh, that that somehow might b- become an act of uh, if not healing, at least an affirmation of the idea that there's a there should be a common cause out there, not just are you on the side of darkness or are you on the side of the angels? Um, and I don't know if it was Shahid's idea to have the uh, the near future reality, reality be that Trump was reelected, uh, <laughs> served his second term and was succeeded by Pence, who was himself reelected, whereupon <laughs> the, the, the states of the union uh, called Washington, Oregon, and California uh, secede as a unit, as a, as a new nation called Pacifica under their own flag. Um, I believe that was what he presented to, to Her- Harry Turtledove. And then Harry actualized that as the first of the three novellas, the one called The Breaking of Nations. Um, so, Kat, do you have anything to add to that? Well, setup? yeah, Harry, so Harry and I uh, know each other on Twitter. We're Twitter friends, one of the uh, relationships of today. And uh, he pinged me uh, and said, would you be interested in collaborating on this? And um, as I was saying 
earlier before we started recording and officially uh, confessing things, my first reaction was just sheer terror uh, because I knew Jim's work and thought it was pretty much uh, the pinnacle of writing. And I know Harry's work, which is just terrific. And I was very sort of pleased and flattered and, as I said, terrified. And so then they sent me Harry's book and I was like, oh, okay. And I read it and was full of kind of like thoughtful quotations from the Civil War and it exhibited Harry's knowledge of history and all of that. And I was like, oh, okay, I know where we're going. And then James's came and went in a completely different direction. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. And I actually uh, did a, a lot of kind of banging my head against it and then ended up going in, in what I think is a totally different direction that somehow manages to display uh, the disparity of directions in which one could go with this. What do you think, Jim? Did we do that? Uh, yeah, the, the, no, the novellas are very different from each other in tone. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Harry's is, uh, you know, what he's the master of. It's, yeah. it's a sort of straightforward alternate history. And then I weigh in with this, <laughs> I would have to say, farcical, um, uh, and, and over-the-top uh, presentation of life under President Pence uh, from the point of view of a former porn queen, a woman named Polly Nightingale, <laughs> okay, I, I've, I've got to stop you there because the sheer and utter chutzpah of that plot twist. <laughs> I, I had a lot of fun with that. And, uh, and but it doesn't tend it to continue through the entire story was beyond beyond hilarity and it it took what was a what 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 could have been a just just gut-wrenchingly ugly story and made it <laughs> thank you thank you because it, it could have you took what was what could have been a very dark ugly story and because of of a very sardonic twist right at the opening and forcing it to stay there, no matter where else the story went, that part had to stay. Oh no, you're not going anywhere. This bit continues. It was wonderful. <laughs> well, and then Kat, you're stuck with it because you're number three. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <And> yes. <laughs> I must, and I salute you, Kat. For <laughs> somehow ingesting my story and digesting it and not letting it stop you from then going ahead and telling <laughs> your own version of a post-Trump, post-Pence dystopia, um, which, uh, you know, I, I found to be very absorbing and has its own twists and turns. And I'll try not to spoil any of them. But, uh, you know, at one point, I think you're tipping your hat to the the movie, The Truman Show. Yeah. And, uh, I thought of Margaret Atwood's uh, dystopias, um, where there's, uh, 
you know, I, I guess sort of the perverse pleasure of of a world that's um, uh, that's in the last extremity, you know, mm-hmm. as your as your hero, as Ernst is traveling, as he his odyssey from Pacifica, he's forced to leave it because he's caught up in a sort of spy caper of his own making, or at least he thinks it's of his own making, uh, to to the heart <laughs> the heart of dystopian America, which of course the heart is of darkness. Kansas this, City. This was up to Sinclair. <laughs> Come on. Go with me on this one. And Kat, may I just say the best line in the story that I don't think ten people in America will ever get, but just threw me to the floor was the line Sinclair owns the right to broadcast us. Anyone else has to pay them licensing fees. <laughs> As a radio person, you got that. Yes. Oh, oh, my God. I got that. And I just sat there and I went, son of a bitch. That's brilliant. And uh, guys, if, if anybody gets that, Shoot me an email, care of the website, and I'll send you a, a friggin' prize because that was it's the brilliance. The, first of all, Kat, there are Easter eggs thrown all throughout your story. Yeah. You just drop them like like the Easter Bunny on steroids, and you drop little 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 gems here, there, all over the place, and it's fun. But the one thing that you do is you don't suffer sugar. No, you you don't you don't you you. you I I feel like by the time Pacifica got to you, <laughs> it was it wasn't a nice place anymore. Well, it it wasn't much nicer than anywhere else and there's there, there, there's almost a sense of politics be politics yeah yeah I, I i'm gonna say it was interesting getting harry's and then getting harry uh jim's i think like a month later i want to say and mm-hmm. then turning mine in and then getting the copy edits two months after that which was right around march or april of 2020 and just being like, well, do I go back and put the murder hornets in? Do I go back and put this in? But it did kind of seem like the book went almost full circle. Yeah. And we're, you know, as as there's there's, there's a point at which we, we become our own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, I, I was actually kind of distressed we got a early review which was kind of like this is anti-christian and anti oh screw that and the thing i want to say is the thing i want people to get out of my mind out of mine is uh, it's not a question of red versus blue it's a question of everybody versus the rich so you know there there's my political statement go ahead yeah that's uh that, that's why I thought your your climax or the, the yeah. third act is so powerful, where the the rich have their enclaves and the poor are just there to be devoured by them, to amuse them. Mm-hmm. It's your your story. 
every one of the stories has a MacGuffin within it at the point at which you mm-hmm. think you're sure you know where it's going. And uh, in the Purloined Republic, there's the church scene. <laughs> <laughs> which is so good. <laughs> which which may be one of the funniest five pages I've read yeah. uh, since the Marx Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and every bit as 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 hilarious. And in Because It's Bitter, uh, the underground scene uh, that ends with, uh, isn't that what you wanted? Why have you, why you've been chasing your grandmother's research all along? And it's like, it's at that point, oh, is that what this is all about? And it's, it's a beautiful thing that uh, the three of you collaborated along this wonderful thread that got us to work through what we're currently going through sociologically. Uh, I wanted to say, uh, well, go ahead. No, no, because I'm not really asking questions in case you hadn't noticed. Because <laughs> there ain't a lot of questions. There aren't a lot of questions to ask. Go when, ahead. Uh, when the publisher, when Sahid uh, Mahmoud came to me with the proposition that I join the project, and when he told me the premise, I turned him down. I said, I, I find the idea of eight years of Pence following eight years of Trump intolerable there's nothing i can do with that it just makes me want to shoot myself uh i I can't do satire with it i can't do any kind of meaningful political or philosophical extrapolation i just want to run screaming from it and and sorry you know i really respect what you're trying to do but it's not it's not my thing and then um uh, the next day, having having refused <laughs> the opportunity to collaborate with with Harry and Cat, well, that would have been wonderful on its own on its own terms. Uh, I said, you know, I know the premise includes the idea that Donald Trump uh, is actually dead when the story opens. Um, he's died off screen, as it were, mm-hmm. off stage. And and I said, well, you know, it'd be kind of interesting if pence resurrected him uh that has a kind of inherent dramatic and satiric potential it seemed to me um and uh by the way one of the easter eggs that harry put in i i think this is deliberate is he says that trump died from uh one too many double whoppers Uh, and we know (laughs) that trump has a fondness but the double whopper (laughs) wordplay you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pathological, almost Tourette syndrome lying. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, what did you think, Kat? Did Harry do that on purpose? Or? I think he did. No. I think that's I supposed think... to be a Trumpian rhetorical move. So uh, I then came up with an outline that was sort of centered around the idea that Pence would bring Trump back from the dead. 
I, I thought maybe it would be an actual supernatural event, but when I sat down to write it, I realized, no, that, <laughs> uh, that's going a little bit too far. That would be bla- that would really be blasphemous. Uh, and so he raises a, a robot trump, an audio animatronic trump from the dead, although he does not know it. He Pence believes he's been given a sort of divine power to do this. I, I like how the fact is that like you're like I'm okay with blasphemy, but I just I don't want degrees of blasphemy. There's like too far. Is that it? Yeah. Or is, it <laughs> is, is there? Is there though? <laughs> I mean, seriously, is there? I mean, when we've got a porn star pretending to be a male mm-hmm. uh, minister because. She can be made to look and sound like him. And I mean, this would be the second time or third time or fourth time, depending on how many times you shell out $180,000 that a porn star has been associated with this. Well, that this has occurred. Uh, It's. I, I think I, sh- I would say, uh, yeah, it's not that I thought an actual resurrection would be too blasphemous because I, I, yeah, from, I mean, this is how I earn my living by, by pushing <laughs> through blasphemy I, as anyone does. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think it's more that that would sort of ratify a, a yeah. supernaturalist yeah. view of, of the universe, um, which is pretty far from my own rather secular beliefs so that that's why i pulled away from from it um but yeah i don't um i i don't think there's so much you know show me somebody who's objecting to the blasphemy in a work of satire whether we're talking about you know the charlie hebdo cartoons about the Uh prophet muhammad or we're talking about a james morrow short story and i'll show you someone who's probably themselves doing something that's blasphemous yeah uh, like from, I, I would argue that the gunman who 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 attacked and killed artists and editors in the Charlie Hebdo offices in mm-hmm. Paris were themselves engaging in a very blasphemous act. They were saying, "Oh well, the prophet needs us to defend him. The prophet is not strong enough himself and needs us to pick up our guns." And uh, Allah is really a rather weak deity. So we must come in and 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 take charge uh, of of re- avenging the prophet. What could be more blasphemous than that? But I digress. <laughs> and and you're entitled to. Um. So anyway, you're you're sitting here working on this project, and you're not working on it simultaneously because you're kind of feeding off each other. Harry does the first story, mm-hmm. which feeds into your story, which feeds into Kat's story. So it's it's kind of like it's kind of like a chain letter almost, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah it's so, not not a, a a coherent collaboration, but yes, it's right. <laughs> exactly. I mean. Um, it's, so it's, it's not it's, like you're talking to each other through this at all. It's or, a round robin. No, no. 
Uh, I, so I, I think, you know, Kat had the hardest job of all because she had sort of pick up the pieces that were <laughs> left lying around. And she she had something to put up with, with the two of you, uh, what, what the two of you had done. I, I am going to totally agree that I by far had the hardest job. <laughs> but I had a lot of fun with it, too. And I think with collaborations, that's one of the, the joys is just sort of rising to the challenge. You know, kind of being forced to bring your A game. And I that's one of the things I loved about this book was I feel like we all brought our A game and had a lot of fun doing so. So when it was all done, did the three of you get a chance to sit down and talk to each other at all? No. No way. Not really? No. We're writers. We don't talk to people. Oh, come <laughs> on. No, I wish I mean, we had. I, oh, well, Kat has been trying to get me and Tara to, to, have a con- to sit down and have a conversation about the book, which I'd love to do. I think it's just not Harry's well, thing I was kind But yes, Kat, we should that now. But I mean, I, I, I would like to like yeah. you know, sit down at a Starbucks with the three of you mm-hmm. and I'll pay for the coffee and just have you guys talk about this and just, you know, where you where you made it work, what you thought you were going, where you wanted to go with it. Where you thought you, do you do you think are there are there things you wanted to do that you didn't do in, with this? Well, I could tell you I read Harry's um, and then waited for James and he did not go in the direction that I thought he was going to go. So I threw all those notes out the window. <laughs> See now that surprises me. Oh, you I, you had uh, you you, uh, you had a story in mind, and then I uh, I canceled it by it was, <laughs> with it a was, manuscript it, that was <laughs> it was a rough idea. It was a rough idea, and it was based. It was much closer yeah. to Harry's, and it was because I thought you would also for some reason I was like, oh well, I'll write like Harry, and I don't know why I thought that, uh, but I was I had a a Harry style piece and then you just came along and wrenched that frame away which was fine uh, totally fine and much more interesting but I thought that was fun <laughs> see now I would have thought that you wouldn't have even gotten a look I, uh, at anything until the first two stories were done I I, you know, I think Harry sent it off to show us that he'd gotten it done. I mean, I know when I'm a writer, I, I like to be just be like, look, I finished a thing. So maybe that's no. Now he sent it to us so we could start thinking about it. Oh, cool. Maybe it was to. Yeah, talk. I mean, there was a, uh, kind of a deadline. Uh, I mean, the story will be the novella. These novellas will technically become instantly obsolete. <laughs> When <laughs> they already are. Fails to be elected, uh, on November 3rd. So I think one, maybe. One uh, may hope. One may uh, wish for that. Yes. Shahid and the other people at Park Manor said, well, let's let's get this sucker into print as soon yeah. as possible. So, uh, I mean, it'll still enjoy the status of alternate history mm-hmm. uh, post November 3rd. Um, but, but it probably had. It'll have more of an edge, I think, until until the election. So that was partly driving it. Um, you know, I, one thing that 
pleased me. Uh, I, I think of my my books as as thought experiments in the in the sense that a, you know a philosopher or a cosmologist um, or a biologist might set up an experiment that could only be done uh, in the imagination, never in the real world. So I set up this uh, situation of uh, the the porn star who happens to look enough like Pence's uh, spiritual advisor, even though the gender is different, that she can pass herself off as this uh, Walker Walker Lambert character, who, of course, maps onto Franklin Graham. Mm-hmm. Um, and then boy, talk about I ran the experiment too, and I was huh? pleased how much actual uh like actual american history sort of played into my hands and uh that the uh, uh for example um one of the one of the situations that the spiritual advisor encourages pence to get involved in is to take is to take the role of um uh travis in a uh, uh a reenactment of the Battle of the Alamo that's the happening Alamo, in Texas yes. as sort of celebrating whatever, 200 anniversary of the fall of the, of the, fall of the Alamo. And um, uh, of, of course, what's going on in the, in the siege of the Alamo is you have villainous Mexicans coming up from, uh, from below the Rio Grande and storming this bastion of... Uh, white English speaking settlers who who occupy this very ambiguous zone in Texas. They've uh, they're on the point of calling it a republic. They they uh, they want to probably ally themselves if they can bring it off with the United States because they know slavery is not about to disappear in the United States and they want to continue to be slave owners. Um, so that all fit into the uh, into what Trump and Pence stand for, which is, you know, brown people marching north <laughs> uh, uh, who are going to who, who are who are yeah. out to bring down our republic. And uh, so I, I literally have, have them, uh, supposedly the people who are defending the Alamo in the reenactment think that these are these are the uh, the evil uh uh, not only Mexicans, you know, uh, who the alleged uh, rapist uh, proclivities of Mexicans, but also uh, Muslims and journalists and 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 atheists and other and other dark forces. Um, and then, uh, you know, the very end, I was able to use uh, again real history playing into my hands. The episode of Pence attending a performance of the musical. Uh, Hamilton, Hamilton yeah. masterpiece, nice. uh, which has been in the news again recently because I think Disney Plus made it available, made a, mm-hmm. a, a pretty darn good recording of it available to a much An larger amazing public. Amazing recording available. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope to catch up with it. So I was able to use the episode of uh, Hence going there with his uh, daughter. And, uh, and initially uh, having to in- endure some booze from from the audience, uh, and then being directly confronted afterward by um, by a cast member, by an actor uh, playing Aaron Burr, the 
vice president, a black actor, is talking to a white vice white president. Vice president, right. Yeah, uh, vice president, vice president versus vice president saying we would like some affirmation that the Pence Trump administration will stand up for the rights of all people, regardless of their uh, race or, or sexual orientation or, 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 or ethnic status. Um, and uh, Pence would not do that. He simply yeah. allowed the Secret Service to escort him out of the out of the theater. Um, so I kind of recapitulate that. I thought it was very telling. And, and in retrospect, a chilling, uh, you know, sort of anticipation, a foreshadowing of what this administration mm-hmm. does stand for, which is uh, the opposite of pluralism. It's, a, it's a, uh, the last thing they're going to do is celebrate the, the religious and ethnic and gender diversity that is our heritage. What scares we shy away from politics as a rule uh, on the show uh, because uh, everybody's entitled to yeah. believe what they want to believe and I'm fine with that and and uh, I'm not going to shove what yeah. I believe down anybody's throat but this book is chilling if and only because it just hits every. It pushes every button. It resonates. Uh, I had been. I have this odd penchant for watching the History Channel, and I should really stop doing that because mm-hmm. I lived through the '60s, <laughs> and that was bad enough. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there, there was a scene there uh, that I was watching the other day of of the CIA uh, dropping down to. Uh, Stop and uh, take out a limousine. Mm-hmm. And then two hours later, I'm reading that scene in, in the Turtle Dove segment. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, yes. oh, shit. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is frame by frame exactly. And it, it's, it's at that point that I realized how masterful the three of you are at taking the present, moving it forward 20 years so that what we're reading has the plausibility uh, to chill the marrow in your bones. Well, that's very gratifying. And and I think when one is in a state of chilled marrow, it's not that... uh, we're telling people what to think. No, no, not, not at all. Uh, what you're it's saying not is open your eyes, guys. Sort of uh, uh, unwilling suspension of disbelief we've, we've brought about. We're just saying we insist that you do think. That's all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wrestle your 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 ideology to the ground and try to have an honest conversation with yourself about it. I mean, you know, we're all extremely limited and fallible human beings. Nobody has uh, uh, an, an, an ideology that's so perfect that they would have any right to impose mm-hmm. it upon mm-hmm. the planet. Uh, and uh, I think that's 
the, the, the glory of fiction per se or, 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 or specifically science fiction that it, you can you can get a conversation going. And the point is not to arrive at a fixed set of beliefs, but rather to have had the conversation and maybe to have a thought that you never had before. Or maybe to hear a thought you hadn't heard yeah. before. Or mm-hmm. really listening to uh, <laughs> to ideas that you think would be on first principles utterly indigestible, and then suddenly you find, oh, they're, uh, I'm hearing something reasonable. I'm hearing something that I don't agree with, but I understand why a reasonable, sane person might view mm-hmm. the world. The thing about what we have here with this book that for me has been and and I don't know that I want to call it a fun book to read. Mm-hmm. It had its fun moments. I'll give you that. But overall, and, and Cam, I think you'll back me up on this. I don't know that it's a fun book to read. <laughs> Cam? Are you even going to answer me on this one? Or, or have I can I... answer. I Go did. ahead. It, it's it. There are fun moments. There are absolute. There are like you said, Tom. There are moments when you, you, against you know your better judgment and your your feelings of terror and everything else, you can't help but laugh. Like Polly Nightingale, who just she makes me laugh throughout the whole thing, yeah. throughout her story. She's just this wonderful character that takes you by the hand. It's a port star taking you by the hand and leading you off somewhere to go, just follow me. I'll show you things you've never seen. <laughs> but yeah, there's just this fun part to it that I absolutely love. Yes, there is some scary stuff. And there's stuff that, I mean, when I was done reading Harry's portion, I'm going, I don't know if I can make it through James and Kat's parts, if they're anywhere near as scary as what he wrote. But James, you wrote something that was like, it made me feel, it was like, it lifted me up for a moment. I'm going, I think I can finish Kat's. And when I got to the end of your ending, Kat, it was like that. And I don't want to tell anyone what it was, but that twist at the end was so beautiful that I went, oh, I'm so glad I read this. Yeah. That, 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 yep. In fact, the, the punch is in the very last sentence, as I recall. It's fabulous, fabulous. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I certainly, I don't know, I, I think Kat would agree with me. The, the truism uh, I've always liked is that all, all art is entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it doesn't work the other way around. <laughs> Not all entertainment is art. But um, I wanted to delight and amuse and draw, extract, laughs even though my agenda is completely serious you know comedy and i would say even farce are not the opposite of seriousness no not at all and uh, i guess for me humor is a sort of like the the trojan horse you know mm-hmm. anything anything to get those achaeans inside the walls of the city anything to smuggle these per- perhaps unwanted ideas into the mm-hmm. brain <laughs> of the of the reader and let's see what happens you know and have invite the reader to then have a conversation with himself or herself about um uh, about the about these Achaeans that they didn't know were about to invade their skull <laughs> yeah it's, it's also it's, wonderful not to be shouted down 
I yeah. think that's yep. dead on. And that one of the things that I always remember is science fiction is not so much about the future as it is about our own times seen through another lens. And, you know, this is very much about today and it will continue being about today, even 30 years from now when it's become weird alternate history. I got to say, I don't know that I've ever written in a space kind of as odd time wise. Hmm. Because I don't know. I don't know that we've ever lived in this kind of an odd. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, mean you certainly. Know. Uh, I think Kat's making a good point. It, it makes me think of George Orwell's famous distinction between. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking exactly prophecy, the same thing. Uh, you know, prophecy and warning. Mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. And of course, when uh, when Orwell submitted uh, the manuscript to his editor in in the UK, uh, Orwell was he was dying of tuberculosis, and and the editor was not surprised that it was a uh, a, a dark book. But the editor said, "I don't I don't really want to publish this. It's such it's such a, a depleting." prediction of what's going to happen to the world and and Orwell said no it's not a it's not a prediction it's a warning mm-hmm. I'm trying to equip I'm trying to equip people with a vocabulary they can use to talk about what's happening right now in yeah. 1948 when he wrote the book not what's going to happen in the future we need to deal with the fact that uh, intellectuals in particular are becoming enamored of totalitarian ideas mm-hmm. that's a terrible development but if I can provide people with a vocabulary like such as Big Brother and New Speak, uh, you know, I will have made a contribution. Yeah. Uh, so I like to think, even though Kat and uh, and and Harry and I might at at one level say, "Oh dear, our book is now completely obsolete because American history did not go in that direction at all." Uh, I think that. it's it's we've still performed an experiment that was worth mm-hmm. that was worth performing yeah. uh, because people do after all return to dystopias that that you know technically cannot have passed because the time for them has passed and then 1984 would be the first example but people still read it mm-hmm. as they read brave new world as they read animal farm as they read oh, many yeah. others of, of that same genre for that same reason, there are still lessons to be learned. We are still uh, a young republic, and, and people tend to forget that, you know, just because of uh, the ethnocentricity. So because of that, uh, I am in love with this book. <laughs> uh, and I don't know. That's very gratifying. And uh, yeah, I like yeah. the word young. And I like to think of this republic as an experiment. And that's why I find myself constantly at odds with those who say, well, this uh, this nation was founded as a kind of evangelical Christian utopia. Oh, what a load of malarkey that is. <laughs> um you know, what, whatever you think of the evangelical Christian way of being in the world, that's not what the founding 
fathers were by nah. imagination. That, that was they, the last thing they had in mind, as a matter of fact. The last thing they, were, they were fed up with theocracy. They were sick to death of the wars of religion that many of them had lived through and their parents had lived through. And, and this republic was supposed to be fundamentally secular. Of course, churches would thrive. Freedom of religion uh, was was uh, had had you have to put a premium on that uh, premium on that of course but uh, as as is often said the most important word in the Constitution of the United States is the word that's not there and it's the word God so don't tell me that they wanted theism to be the ruling ethos of this great experiment no it was informed by the Enlightenment by the age of reason, by the whole idea that, well, maybe we humans uh, are are the victims of institutions that we ourselves created, and therefore we can uncreate them. That has not been arranged from on high, that there was not some, uh, there's, not, there's not divine fingerprints all over, all over the history of humankind. We did it to ourselves. So, um, and and the experiment is, as 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 you say, Dome is is still getting up to speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, most Americans, um, and I shudder to say this, <clears throat> most Americans haven't traveled out of their own states mm-hmm. or or their own regions, <clears throat> or for that matter aside from a tour bus out of their own country. Uh, and, you know, when when you leave the borders, once this pandemic ever ends, uh, if we find a way to do it without killing ourselves in the process, uh, you know, there you, you, you go to London and there's thousand-year-old buildings and you say to yourself, we we knocked down a forty year old skyscraper because it was too old, and we go, what? <laughs> what stupid are you? Well, and you think and of the the joke uh, about the difference between Europe and America that in uh, um, America we think a um, uh, hundred years is a long time, and in Europe they think. A hundred miles is a great distance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and point well taken. Yeah. Uh, um, so you know we have to we have to become we 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 have to remember who we are. Mm-hmm. We have to remember what we are, and we have to remember what our place is in, in, in the world of, of, uh, and as people, uh, a cautionary tale, whether it's done as, a, a, a fantasy, whether it's done as, as hard science fiction, whether it's done as a political allegory, whether it's done as an alternate history is nonetheless a cautionary tale. One that deserves to be studied 
and mm-hmm. listened to. Mm-hmm. And on September 22nd, <clears throat> the readers are going to get a chance to get to read And the Last Trump Shall Sound, which contains the works of Harry Turtledove, Cat Rambo, and James Morrow. Cat and James, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Very welcome. This has been more fun than a bag full of cats. (laughs) (laughs) And I have no idea how much fun that is because I'm allergic. But thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome back anytime. This has been a lot of fun. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. We had a great time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you can find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce we have. We love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their groups can be found on lawrencemademecry.com. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying... Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. There once was a girl from Nantucket. Good night, everybody. Yay!